brought to you by the Mutual Audio Network. Don't leave home without it. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. This podcast is a serial narrative, a story told episode by episode. Consequently, your listening journey would be best begun at the beginning. That's Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective, Episode 1. It is the year 2015, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down. What once was right is wrong. And those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theater are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives to broadcast from a South Seas barge crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan and several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring you the triumph, the majesty, the sublimity of rude alchemy. Previously on Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective. I heard the screams around the time the thunderstorm rolled in. Carver Cranebottom, PhD. And you say there is only one surviving witness? Not long ago he begun scribbling this. Let's have a look at that cipher of yours. Wes? No! Ah! He's thrown himself from the window! Joe, what you aim for, Carver? Slash, slice, sink, or sliver, the tickler's grin will deliver. What, what exactly is your name? Butcher. Butcher Bagwell. You help me with the um, bone-related robbery. What's in there? A half-moon-shaped blade with large, almost tooth-like serration. Dear God, the tickler's grin from Dr. Danderduff's cipher. Damn you, cream bottom! Who who are you? Saved your life, didn't I, Carv? Basil! You're wanted for the murder of Dr. Danderduff. Wes killed himself, Baz, you must believe me. You're going to have to hide out until things settle down. Go to the Inn of the Circling Serpent in Grubgate. It's safe there. Is something the matter? Nothing at all. Hello, gentlemen. Now, now, Basil, she is obviously the proprietress. There was a man who frequented the house. Jacob Carver. You are his very image. He then produced a terrible-looking blade and slashed at the woman. The line ends with me. He bat as he fled into the night. Do you not still have it with you? The horrible curved blade? Does she mean the tickler's grin? But I was here, helping the midwife pull you from your dying mother. We must return to Professor Hornsby. The professor is no longer here. He was visited by a woman. The woman from the Inn of the Circling Serpent. I'd wager she used an excavating tool to chisel out the bars of the window to allow for their escape. Runyon, what on earth are you doing here? You're coming with me, both of you. Before we begin tonight's episode, a word of warning. It has been brought to my attention that the hysteria caused by Carver Cranebottom, Bone Detective's meteoric rise to success, has in many cases descended into indiscriminate violence. To give a case study, I have received reports of a man so obsessed with Carver Cranebottom's exploits that he murdered his family with a carving knife and fashioned a crude yet working bicycle out of their bones. He then proceeded to ride this bicycle, or shall I say, bonesicle? 
into an electronical fence, he was killed instantly. Although this type of activity is perfectly rational when one considers how powerful these episodes can be, it is best to remember to use moderation, for dead ears can no longer hear the tales of Carver Cranebottom, Bone Detective. Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective is brought to you by Jansen's Baby Formula. When you're tired of doing it God's way, do it Jansen's way. When last we left Carver and friends, Constable Runyon had reneged on his earlier promise to help and was, to all appearances, about to arrest Carver and the bewildered Baz with him. And when I say renege, I hope you are sophisticated enough to understand that despite the pronunciation, there is absolutely no racial connotation whatsoever with that word. I pride myself on being staunchly open-minded and tolerant. In fact, my Uncle Cecil was a freedom writer. Not with Dr. King, mind you, and I believe the protest was somewhere in northern New Hampshire, but there were plenty of offshoots of the movement that required just as much bravery. Regardless, renig is a perfectly legitimate vocabulary word that means to break one's word, or to go back on one's promise, or to give something and take it back. You know, like an Indian giver. A dirty, uncivilized, drunken Indian giver. See? Nothing racially motivated at all. On with the story. Come now, Runyon. Where are you taking us? You'll see. Pipe down. Damn it, Onion. We were on the verge of a breakthrough. What? What did you just call me? Hmm? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. Onion. You son of a... Gentlemen, please. <laughs> He knows not to call me that. He he knows that's off limits. Oh, you mean like arresting your partner was supposed to be off limits. Is it off limits like that, Onion? You know, I, I know we have had a bit of a row from time to time, Baz, but I, I never thought that you'd ever stoop. Onion, 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 onion. No, no, please make it stop. No. Damn it, Baz. Can't you see he's had enough? Hmm. There, there, Constable. Uh, do you want to talk about it? It's just, it's just, it's just the boys at school called me that on the day of my mum's funeral because you know I was crying like an onion makes you do. Jesus, Basil! What? She's dead a long time now, and he was being a real knob. But still, Baz, unearthing a man's deepest psychological scar just because he's being a bit of a knob? For shame. How would you like it if I brought up Razzle Razzleton? You wouldn't dare. What's this then? Razzle? You see, uh, back at the orphanage... Carver? Oh, it's a funny story, Baz. You see, Runyon, Basil fancied himself a bit of a magician, so he dressed all in sequin and streamer and called himself... Razzle, Razzleton? That's right. Carver, stop it. Then uh, one night he puts on a show for all the boys and, well, he wasn't very good. Carve, 
Sorry, Baz, but you weren't. I mean, the rabbit was obviously in the hat the whole time. Anyway, little did Baz know that that night was the night he was to be adopted by a lovely couple from Surrey. Well, they happened to come into the cafeteria just as Basil, or should I say Razzle, was finishing up his routine. And the boys were booing and hissing and he was crying and I believe you wet yourself, eh, Baz? Well, anyway, the lovely couple from Surrey was so embarrassed that they adopted little Francis Parker instead. And then Headmaster Crosswedge was so humiliated that he punished poor Baz by forcing him to hand-dredge the latrines for a year. Ha-ho! See? I told you it was a funny story. What's wrong, boys? I'm sorry, Nandy, too bad! I was just upset, you see. I'm... No, think nothing of it. You're a good partner. Not always. No, no, don't be hard on yourself. We're both just too hard on ourselves. Yes, there's a lot of pain there. A lot of pain. That's why we've got to stick together. Yes, that's right. That's right, Basil. Constable Runyon and Constable Basilton looked at each other and perhaps saw each other for the first time, not as partners or rivals or even friends, but as people. Real, live, broken, hurting, feeling people. It was really gay. All right, that's enough of that. You're staring at each other like a pair of meat-starved cannibals. Right. Well, anyway, I wasn't arresting you. You weren't? No. I just wanted to get you away from the hospital staff. You see, there's been a development. Carver Cranebottom... You've been officially exonerated of Dr. Dandenduff's murder. Aha! Of course I have. The boys at Scotland Yard finally came to their senses and pegged it for a proper suicide then. Not at all. We've had a confession. What? A man came down to the station and turned himself in. Said it was him that killed Dr. Dandenduff. Impossible. Wes clearly killed himself. He jumped off the window. Bring me to this suspect immediately. I should like to question him. I'm afraid that's impossible. We'll have him tied up in official questioning for some time. Besides, you're none too welcome down at the yard, Cranebottom, what with your prison escape and escapade at the British Museum. You'd best stay on the good side of the law for as long as you can. Speaking of, I've got to get back. Good day, Cranebottom. Good day, dear, sweet Basil, my partner... My friend, my confidant, my soulmate, my heart. This went on for a very long time. It turns out the two battling bobbies were both secretly yearning to make peace, but for pride's sake were too afraid to make the first overtures. It took a psychological mastermind like Carver Cranebottom to set them on the path to reconciliation. Still, Carver wondered if maybe it all wasn't a bit much. And you see my ankles more than I see them myself. You angel, you god of companionship and manly fraternal love. I'd say you live in my soul if it weren't for the suspicion, nay, the certainty that you are my very soul, Ned. Till yawn, till yawn, I'll hold your sweet words in my mind like lambs in my arms, Basil. Till yawn. 
Okay, Kav, what should we do next? Uh, are you okay? What? Of course, let's go. I'll follow your lead. Right, well, uh, the, yes, the dredging mattock. Uh, since we're forbidden from interviewing the suspect, it's our only lead. To Cornelius Ackerman's shop. Down the hazy cobbled streets of London's famed excavating equipment district, there was Gus Blanchard's pickaxe emporium, Chester Overton's bone brush hut, and Frederick Gaston's spade shack, which sold spades, by the way. You know, as in shovels? And frankly, the fact that I have to keep explaining these terms says much more about you than it does about me. I'm comfortable with my view of the world and its inhabitants. I'll not have you holding my vocabulary hostage due to immature faux sensitivity. The whole thing is womanish. Anywho, Cornelius Ackerman's excavating equipment dispensary was well known to all archaeologists, historians, and bone enthusiasts. Thusly, Carver knew it to be the only location which carried the Ackerman dredging mattock, the tool used in Hornsby's supposed escape. Carver further knew that Mr. Ackerman himself required a delicate touch, for he was most thoroughly and completely mad. And no, not the kind of madman that takes photographs of his own excrement, but the kind of madman that takes photographs of his own excrement and then sends those photographs to dignitaries, statesmen, and occasionally friends and business associates. On holidays, mostly. In fact, just that past Yuletide, Carver himself had received a lovely Christmas card with a bit of verse, a festive greeting, and a horrid, shapeless image carrying a smell that was a trifle more than imaginary. With a not-so-deep-yet-steadying breath, Carver entered the shop with bears on his heels. Hello? Cornelius, are you in? Keep your wits about you, Baz. This man is unpredictable at best. Right. Uh, who's there? Plain bottom? Is, is that you? Yes, Cornelius, it's me. Uh, hold still. Wait right there. I'm just finishing up in a dark room. Ew. Ah! Ah! All done. Although, I must say... My last subject was a difficult one. Couldn't get him to smile for you, eh? <laughs> no, it's poop. It doesn't smile. I'm sorry for him, Cornelius. It's all right. Basil! Now, what can I do for you today, my good man? In need of our bone braces, sand sifters, fossil flippers? No. How about our tooth ticklers? Femur flagons? Canine clusters? No. Artifact anglers? Cartouche couplers? Sarcophagus cymzel? No, I, um... Faces photos? Poop pics? Astromit images? Maybe next time. Look here, Ackerman, we are on official police business. Please, let me handle this, Baz. <sighs> What's his problem? He's never seen a waste landscape before? I should have mentioned, there was a large mural on the far wall of the shop. It was an idyllic country landscape. You can guess the medium. No, no, he's a bit of a rube, not used to real art. I'm afraid he's right, though. We are here on something of an official capacity. If they weren't using it, then it's public domain. No, 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 no. I just want to end it up in the sewers. I'm doing a public service. We don't, um... Sculpture uh... is a new endeavor for me. I need a lot of material. 
I think I'm going to be sick. Please, Cornelius, you've done nothing wrong. I wouldn't say that. Listen to me. Your famous dredge mattock, the Ackerman, do you still sell them? Well, it's been some time. Ever since Tuscan Talon Enterprises came out with the new dredge-o-matic, or whatever they call it. The auto-dredger, yes. Right. <sighs> Business hasn't been the same since... Time was, I couldn't keep an Ackerman dredge matic on the shelf. Now, I'm lucky to sell one or two a year. Have you sold any recently? You know, if you had asked me that a week ago, I would have said I couldn't remember the last time. But you're in luck. Just yesterday, a most striking young woman came in and purchased my last one. Oh, now, Cornelius, please. I'm all for a joke between old friends, but a woman? Next you'll tell me she was wearing pants. She was wearing pants. Dear God, Carver, could it be? Tell me, Cornelius, what did this young lady look like? Well, I told you she was very striking. Hmm. Ah, uh, 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 of course. She made quite an impression on me, and as an artist... I just had to make a record of our encounter. Here, here. Uh, oh, here you are. A sketch. It's uncanny. That's her, all right. You are quite the artist, Cornelius. Aww. You're too kind, Carv. Listen, why don't you hang on to that drawing? Please don't take the poop drawing. You mean it, Cornelius? Please don't take the poop drawing. Of course. What are friends for? <laughs> I've got loads of them. Great heaping loads of them. Well, if you're sure. Thanks, Cornelius. He's taking the poop drawing. Now, you didn't happen to see where this gender-questioning beauty was headed, did you? Before or after she headed to my bedroom. Oh! 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 Wait, wait, are you serious? A gentleman never kisses and tells. But you just did. Ah, 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 mum's the word. <laughs> come on, come on, Ackerman. She barely gave me a second look. You! What can I say? <laughs> You know how it is. Carver, we should go. She, she, she did know you were a poop artist, right? Right, an, an artist who works in the medium of poop? Come along, Carve. Good day, gentlemen. <laughs> Basil dragged the pride-bruised Cranebottom out of the shop. It wasn't often that Carver Cranebottom was bested by a rival but each time stung him like a scorpion's tail. He's insane. He's insane. That's what's happening. He, he, he probably boffed a poop Mona Lisa and thought he nailed the real thing. It's nothing. He's crazy. Of course, Carve. Now, uh, despite Ackerman's fantastical delusions, we've at least got a suspect and a picture. We've simply got to canvas the neighborhood. And canvas they did. Carver and Basil paddled the putrid picture up and down the thronging byways of the excavating equipment district. Their cries of, have you seen this woman, being met with an unshakable mixture of arousal and revulsion from the hardy men of the excavating equipment trade. Arousal, brought about by Ackerman's skilled representation of cheekbones and dancing playful eyes, was first to redden their ruddy chops, 
but revulsion followed quickly after, turning the red to a sickly green, spurred by the increasingly unmistakable odor of the master's homemade pastels. Rigid loins and unsteady bellies aside, the boys were making very little progress. Not a man in a hundred had seen the russet-hued angel in the flesh, and nightfall was besetting the corridor with astonishing quickness. For a moment, Basil stopped to rest by a garbage-glutted gutter, clasping the picture absent-mindedly by his side. Unbeknownst to him, a tiny garbage person, a garbage child, really, in all accurateness, a little more than a garbage baby, shuffled out of the messy median to peer at the image in the constable's casual clutch. Carver, noticing the urchin, chuckled and gestured for Basil's sake. Basil jerked away suddenly, revolted by the miniature shambling horror. However... Something about the child held Basil's gaze. Then eerily, hauntingly, ethereally, the babe lifted its tiny gnarled mandible and pointed. Momentarily horrified, Basil at first believed the imp to be pointing directly at him, rebuking him, accusing him, shaming him and all humanity for its ignorance, greed, cruelty, and avarice. But then Basil noticed that the angle of the child's ghost-thin claw was aiming just past his left shoulder. Turning to look, Carver and Basil simultaneously realized that the urchin was not, in fact, pointing at their wretched, guilt-ridden souls, but passed them to the abandoned coal refinery on the corner. Turning back to perhaps offer a stiff thank you to the undesirable, Basil was not a little relieved to find it was already gone. Also missing was the poop portrait the man had so coveted that evening. Only many years later, on a particularly sleepless night, when pondering the events related to this incident, did Basil make the connection that the urchin, poop-covered and twisted as it was, must have stolen the foul painting, believing it to be a representation of its own lost, sweet, beautiful, disgusting mother? Huh. With renewed purpose, Carver and Basil marched up to the entrance of the abandoned factory and peered through a crack in the door. At first, only darkness. Then... With a suddenness like a plunge into a frozen waterway, a man screamed with such icy desperation it must surely have been his last. With a few swift kicks and, without a moment's delay, our twosome knocked the doors asunder and dove into the chilly depths of the abandoned cokery. Darkness all about. Utter darkness. Wait. There. Just ahead. Is that a sliver of moonlight sneaking through a crack in a roof beam? And what motionless figure does it illuminate? Professor Hornsby, is that you? It's him all right, Baz, but he won't be answering. Hornsby's corpse sat lazily in an old wheeled chair. As Carver slowly spun the chair on its casters, the moonlight deigned to reveal the professor's mudcake shoes, sticky red sport coat, and the gaping, grinning gash leaking from ear to ear. Dear God. Keep your wits about you, Basil. The murderer is close at hand. Remember, this wretched man was alive and screaming mere seconds ago. Carver and Basil stumbled aimlessly through the expanse of the coal-black coal plant. Unable to see, their other senses leapt into action. Smell the clean, ashy remnants of a hundred years of sooty labor side by side with fresh-spilt blood and death's unspoken foulness. Taste dry, sticky, gravelly fear clutching at the back of the throat. Touch, cold, empty, drafts, and occasional sharp, gripping edges of some long-forgotten machinery crated up for eternity. Sound, 
laboured breathing of the frightened man nearby, his timid footsteps, and just ahead, just ahead, something inching, coming closer. Dragging deliberate measured footsteps and an intermittent tiny echoing dripping as if the being held a recently soaked object that was fast shedding its grim supply of liquid. Who's there? Show yourself, damn you! Look out, Carve! The phantom hurled Carve a crane bot into the floor with uncanny strength. This is how you want it. Fine by me. No, no, hold! As Basil fumbled for his revolver, the figure pinned Carver to the floor and inched a small, red-slicked blade ever closer to his bulging throat. With one hand, Carver held back the advance, and with the other he freed the tickler's grin from his belt buckle. A glint of light glanced off the knife's grotesque teeth and rested on the face of the wily assailant. The face... Carver quickly realized, had lovely, impossibly high cheekbones and dancing, playful eyes. Despite being in fear for his life, Carver was pleased to see that she was not, in fact, made of poop. The beauty's eye fell upon the fearsome knife, and with a sharp gasp of recognition, her assault hesitated. Carver did not miss the opportunity. In a flash, her pitiful knife was skidding across the floor. Carver flipped the last high into the air and slammed her hard into the ground, reversing positions instantly. As she choked to regain her breath, Carver slid the tickler's grin deliciously close to a supple, straining neck. Not so strong now, are you? Are you, you little beast? Carver! You like my knife? See his teeth? He's hungry, love. Is it time for a feeding? Carver! Tickle, 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 uh, tickle! Uh, Carver! Enough! Bass, what the devil are you doing? I had to get your attention, Carve. You you were going to kill this woman! No, no, no I... Carve, you're drooling! What? Oh, uh, so I am. Sorry about that. Got a bit carried away, I suppose. You gave us quite a scare, young lady. What's the meaning of this brazen attack? Go to hell. Oh, that's nice. You were going to cut my throat. Preposterous, I... That... that dagger. Where in hell did you find that? I... And what's the meaning of busting down those doors there? This is private property. That's enough. You'd best hold your tongue. I'll be asking the questions around here. Now listen and listen well. There's something I have to know. Something I need to know. This is very important, so pay attention. Did you actually have intercourse with Cornelius Ackerman? Carver. No, Baz, no. She threatened our lives. The least she can do is bloody well answer the question. You didn't hurt him, did you? Are you serious? He was kind to me and gentle. Oh, for God's sake. You know he works in poop, don't you? Honest to God, poop. That's his passion. Poop art. He's misunderstood. Not so much as a second glance at me. Me? Have we met? At the Inn of the Circling Serpent last night? We had a brief encounter? Hmm. Doesn't ring a bell. Him, I recognize. Basil? You remember Basil? Oh, gee, thanks, Carve. I just... I, I, I can't... I, Baz, take over, would you? All right, miss. What's your name? Lilith Fontenoy. And what did you do to poor Professor Hornsby? Well, that's clear enough, isn't it? But why? An innocent professor. Innocent? <laughs> Who are you, anyway? 
Carver Cranebottom, PhD. This is my associate, Constable Basil Basilton. Carver? I... of course. Of course what? Uh, nothing. None of it matters now. My work is complete. Are you sure? You were going after my carotid with feverish intensity only moments ago. You came in so quickly. I had to be sure Hornsby was dead. I didn't get to check before you barged in here. Well, Miss Fontenoy, you can rest assured he is quite dead. Excellent. With Hornsby dead and Danderduff, then... Danderduff? What do you know about Wes? It's over now. It's all over. So that's it, then? Clamming up like a clammy clam? Eloquent. Damn it! She's got me all crossed up! Those infernal cheekbones! And the Ackerman thing! I just can't! All right, give it a rest, Carver. You've got to get yourself under control. Let's give the boys at Scotland Yard a go at her. She's confessed to murder. Perhaps they can get the rest of the story. Not bloody likely. My work is done. I've nothing to say. We'll see about that. On your feet. Come on. Lilith Fontenoy, silent but with a strangely satisfied smile on her ruby lips, put up no struggle as Constable Basilton led her to the yard. She was booked on suspicion of murder and, despite her proclivity for pants, was whisked away to the women's holding cell. Finally alone, Basil took a moment to confront his morose friend, who was suddenly spinning the tickler's grin between two nimble fingers. Carver, what on earth happened back there? What do you mean, Baz? With the woman. I know she was attacking you, but you were so savage. You seemed to enjoy your brutality. I've never seen you like that. Haven't you? No, never. Well, what's your point in bringing it up? To tell me that I handled myself irresponsibly? No, Carver, I just... You just what? You just want to berate me for my conduct in the midst of a violent attack? Don't be like that, Carver. I'll be any way I bloody well choose, Baz. She was on me, all around me. That she-devil wound her claws round me and dug at my very life force. How would you expect me to act? With fear, Carver. With steely bravery in spite of it, with witty ingenuity and wily grace, the ways you've acted in countless other life-threatening dilemmas. But savagery? Cruelty? Gleeful violence? Yes. It was gleeful, wasn't it? What are you... It's almost a dance, isn't it? The thrust, the jerk, the vibrating steel, why, it's like music. Tickle, 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 tickle. Carver, you're frightening me. She's awakened something in me, Basil. Something long dead now rages in my blood. It's rather frightening, but exhilarating as well. I feel as if I could overcome anything, anyone. Tickle, 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 tickle. stay back. Tickle, 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 tickle. What say you, Baz? Up for a little dance? Stay away! Tickle, 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 tickle! Carver lunged at poor Basil, ah. the grinning steel leading the way. Basil whimpered girlishly and crumpled to the floor just as Carver's blade struck the wall behind him and skittered out of Carver's grasp. Basil, I... What is the matter with you? I'm sorry, I, I don't know what came over me. Can you ever forgive me? It was with this question hanging in the air between the two bewildered friends that Constable Runyon entered suddenly and broke the tension with his usual skillful charm. What's this, then? Basilton? What are you doing on the floor? And did you... wet yourself? Again? Leave it alone, Runyon. I've a good reason this time. I... What? Did you leave the rabbit in the hat again? Eh, Razzle? <laughs> you monster. Basil hurriedly, and with as much dignity as he could muster, collected himself and scurried away. 
presumably to some secret dark place where he fancies himself big and strong and loved and amply parented. Basil, wait! Oh, leave him be. He always comes back, eventually. You ready for the interview, then? What interview? The suspect that turned himself in for Dandeduff's murder. You said you wanted to see him. He's ready now. By St. George, I completely forgot. Uh, Lead the way, Constable. Runyon led the way, and whilst his back was turned to unlock a rusty gate, Carver Cranebottom casually knelt to retrieve and pocket the tickler's grin. Runyon gestured down a long and unhappy corridor. Last cell on the left, but be quick about it. Your name ain't on the docket. Carver hastened down the echoey hall, forcing his mind to focus on the upcoming interrogation and not the shining, beautiful, beastly blade pulsing. Carver, 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 from his pocket. He reached the end of the passageway, steadied his nerves, and turned to his left, ready to face the man who claimed to be Dr. Danderduff's killer. And there... In the shadowy cell, smiling lightly in that self-satisfied way Carver knew so well, was none other than... Good evening, Carver. Come to ask for my help again. Dr. Danderduff himself. How does the late Dr. Danderduff now stand before our hero? What sorcery brought the dead man back to life? Did Lilith really stoop the poop artist? Find out in the season finale of Carver Cranebot, a bone detective. Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective is brought to you by Davidson's Soap. Davidson's. Wash until you get it right. 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 When I was a small child, my mother brought me on a picnic in a wildflower field next to a trickling brook. We ate meringues and pickled goose eggs and laughed at the turtle doves cooing overhead in a mulberry tree. As the warm summer's eve turned to a cool yet pleasant dusk, My mother pointed out constellations until the fireflies mixed with the stars and all around us was beauty and the flickering, pulsing, reassuring light of the angels. This is my favorite memory. It brings me peace when I am most distressed. And most of all, it reminds me of my dear, sweet mother whom I lost to consumption a short time after this occurred. I cherish this memory. However, compared to the episode we just heard, it's a piece of shit! Join us next time on Carver Cranebottom, Bone Detective. Rude Alchemy is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Kane, Mr. Andy Wertner, and Mr. Ryan Whalen. Carver Cranebottom, Bone Detective, story by Mr. Wertner and Mr. Kane. This episode written by Mr. Wertner, edited by Mr. Wertner. Featuring the voices of Rude Alchemy with Ms. Julia Stroop as Lillen. Music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Robb. For a listing of Creative Commons sound effects attributions, visit rudealchemy.com attributions. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter and please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And finally, I don't care what the state says, Denise, Brendan is staying with me. I'll be damned if my son's going to live with a whore.
friendly service and fuel that's fine. There's a smile for every mile at the Ocean sign. Good afternoon, miss. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood, Ocheline Station. What can I do for you today? Hola, Jess. I need exactly two dollars of Ocheline, por favor. Excuse me, did you say... See, si. I said exactly two dollars, please. This is the Ocheline Station, Jess. Yes, indeedy. We sell only Ocheline with or without kelpinate and Ocheline sargasso with saladine. But why do you want exactly $2 worth? Because the man on the radio told me that I would get more miles per dollar when I choose Ocheline with kelpinate. Today, I plan to drive twice as far as I normally do. Yes, I see. And I will also need enough Ocheline to get back home. Juicy? Uh... See, I see. For friendly service and fuel that's fine, there's a smile for every mile at the Ocheline sign. Ocheline.